From Sedona, Arizona, it's Meeting the Masters with your host, Deborah Stengel. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being with me again for another interview with our Meeting the Masters. I'm Deborah Stengel, founder of Sedona Solar Ventures and author of The Journey to Happy, how embracing the concept that nothing is wrong can transform your life. And today I am so happy and excited and honored to have with us Tina Lifford. Tina is really amazing. She's an actress, she's an author, she's a playwright. She's one of the stars of the show Queen Sugar that's on Oprah's network. So she's connected to Oprah, she's connected to Ava DuVernay, two of my heroes. Plus she is an amazing teacher. And I just feel honored to have her here with me today. So Tina, thank you so much for being with us. Deborah, it is so nice to be here, truly. You, you know, uh, there's nothing better than having a conversation with a like-minded soul. Right, absolutely, totally. So Tina, I love starting at the beginning. Tell me, what got you started on your spiritual path? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I will start by saying that every path is spiritual. <laughs> and um, I got started on mine um, very early. I, I remember, you know, that uh, when I was in the second grade, I would walk to school on the edge of the sidewalk so that my invisible friend, God, could walk with me. Uh, but the, the truly concerted, deliberate, um, investigation that became my spiritual uh, journey began, I would say, probably about 19 or 20. And um, it, it happened to follow, and I'll explain what I mean by that, uh, it happened to follow uh, an event that took place in the fifth grade where I experienced um, debilitating stage fright. And as I grew and my desire to be an actress, which you know I held when I was back in the fifth grade, uh, my desire to be an actress just grew and grew and grew. And at some point in my career, um, the stage fright experience got re-triggered and it left me with such um, dis-ease. And I just, I just did not like the feeling and the question of how can I be so confident, you know, authentic and real in these areas of my life and then over here there is such breakdown, such, um, you know, inability to control myself. And that dilemma started the ball like truly rolling. And of course, at this point in my life, uh, one book later, another one, you know, on its way through HarperCollins and all of the other 
work that I've been able to do and the ways in which I am able to impact the world, I am, of course, not just thrilled that I had to take that journey, but I understand so much of what the mystics, you know, and, and teachers before us meant when they talked about things like using your greatest challenge to become your life's purpose. Well, I love that. And you talk so well about all of that in your book. It's such an interesting book. So let's talk about that. The Little Book of Big Lies. And I absolutely agree with everything that is in your book. It's so in alignment with everything we're doing here at Sedona Soul Adventures. So would you talk about what the big lies are, what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I show it to you um, because there is a, a little bit of a journey behind the book. But um, I'll start by saying that in the book, a lie is defined as any person, event, or experience that happens or has ever happened in your life that leaves you disconnected from your sense of yourself uh, or leaves you afraid to know yourself and connect with yourself. So anything that falls into that category is a lie. And of course, when we look at our lives, we can begin, uh, you know, through that lens, we can begin to see all kinds of lies, right? And, um, you know, some of the major ones, the, the one that is so obvious that it bites you on the nose, but so many people don't experience it as a, it, it as a lie, is the lie that I'm not good enough, you know? And we, it has become popular, you know, to acknowledge that you have these I'm not good enough feelings, right? We all have um, e evolved and matured emotionally to at least be able to say that. But the degree to which the I'm not good enough lives underneath so much of our thinking and our actions should not be underestimated. And so um, in the book of, in the little book of Big Lies, uh, really being able to see, identify, and then strategically, um, deliberately, uh, in alignment with science and who you are, go after those lies is the work. Exactly. And don't you find, I know that for pretty much everyone that comes to us for a retreat, everybody has some level of, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not there's some level and it's different for everyone and how it happened and how it went in is different for everyone. But don't you find with the people that you work with that that is some element of that Absolutely. is the underlying thing with everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 
and getting and getting down to it and getting down to what is it and what is the cause and how is it showing up in your life that is the work that is so i i just love how you talk about all of that in your book it's it's really excellent and you also talk about would you talk a little bit about you talk about the surviving self the thriving self and the infinite self and would would you talk a little bit about that and what that means and and the differences yeah, uh, I am happy to because the two connect, you know, the, exactly. that I'm not good enough is directly connected to um, the surviving self. And so um, the surviving self is that part of us that is always in worry, doubt, and fear. It, it's, its frame is worry, doubt, and fear. Its frame is I'm at risk. Its frame is otherness. Anything outside of what I already know is potentially dangerous. Therefore, it falls into the category of other, and therefore, I have to be worried about it. And, um, you know, coming to understand the surviving self is one of the most important endeavors you can engage because it will answer so many questions, right? It will answer the question of how is it that things can be going quite well in your life and yet your brain, when you check in, will be focused on the one thing that isn't going well or it will be focused on an, an argument or an experience that took place 20 years ago. Why is that? And the reason that is so is because our subconscious in its uh, ultimate, um, ultimate um, uh, job, which is to keep us safe, you know, the surviving self is is its job is to keep us physically safe, not mentally, <laughs> not emotionally, just physically alive. That's it. <laughs> and if I can keep you physically alive, I don't care if you're happy or unhappy. <laughs> I don't care if what I'm doing feels good or not. I have done my part because you're still breathing. That's how basic the surviving self is. And it makes sense because it's, you know, it's, it is the reptilian part of the brain. And that part of our brain, you know, has been in development through fear, uh, through danger, through uh, fight, flight, or freeze for 500 million years, right? Then you have the thriving self. And the thriving self, we all know this self so well, but what we don't know is how incredibly important and powerful and real this self is. And this self is the self of possibility. This self is, you will always be able to know and, and check and experience that you are in the thriving self when hope possibility, a sense of curiosity, uh, the frame of this will grow me, um, empathy, compassion, any of those feelings, any of those concepts actually center us in the part of our brain 
that allows us to be in that you know um, mid frontal lobe where we have self agency, self objectivity, and the ability to deliberately choose. And then the infinite self is that part of us that it's it's just life. It's just it's eternity, you know. And we even feel that we are truly connected to that eternity. When you go back in your mind and you see yourself laying on a beach or in the sun and all of a sudden, everything, your entire body seems to disappear and you become sort of connected to everything that is. That's the infinite self. And the beauty of the, the of knowing that the infinite self is right here inside of us is to know that like clay, the infinite self morphs into all of these different shapes. We, as continuous life, have not only that sh uh, shape shifting, but we also have the continuum of an intelligence that holds all of that together. Now, we may not have the kind of refinement that is coming, but we have a refinement that can be built. An awareness, we can, we can become more aware of the infinite self and then make it a more deliberate uh, presence in our lives. And I love what you do in the book with, with each of these, because with the surviving self, the reptilian part of our brain that does keep us you know, in judgment and fear. But you say, and I completely agree with you, don't try to push that away or make it the enemy. And so many people want to do that. They think that's the answer. It's not the answer. So would you speak to that a little bit? I want to talk about the other two also of, of how you deal with those, but I love that piece. Yeah. So um, it's a really important piece, Deborah. And uh, there's there are a lot of ways that people refer to what I call the surviving self. And oftentimes it's in language like uh, the dark side, you know, or, or the, um, the, the saboteur or whatever. And I don't recommend that. And the reason I don't recommend that is first off, our brain is already sort of predisposed to uh, think that we're not enough, to judge us and to leave us in worry, doubt, and fear, you know, in self-worry, self-doubt, self-fear, okay? And so if you leave room in this area to judge yourself as, you know, dark, that doesn't have within it the compassion, the understanding, and the empathy of understanding that this part of us has served us to get us to this point. And, you know, now that, now that the brain has evolved and we can uh, operate from the thriving self more, 
we still need the wisdom of the surviving self that says that stove is hot, don't touch it, you know, or that energy is toxic and it is, remember this thing? <laughs> you remember what happened with energy just like this? So we need the surviving self and to love ourselves is truly the greatest challenge and accomplishment of a lifetime. To step into partnership, a loving partnership with self, where you treat yourself like your own precious child. That is the work. And I don't, I don't think we need to speak about this surviving self with judgment. I prefer to speak of it with understanding, with appreciation, and like you would a tantrum-throwing child, understand that this part of us has had free reign for such a long period of time. It's been, you know, causing tantrums and, and laying out on the, on the floor and getting us to capitulate just to make it stop. It has been winning so strategically for such a long time that we have to step in and parent it better. Give it boundaries, tell it you know, my grandmother used to say, if you don't sit down and be quiet, right? That's what she would say to us kids. If you don't sit down and be quiet, I'm a... So we have to tell the, the surviving self when it's appropriate, sit down, be quiet. I got this. And as you said, the, the whole point of all of this, the underlying foundation has always got to be loving yourself. So you oh. have to love all of those parts of yourself, including the surviving self. And then I so love how you talk about that with the infinite self, that that is the part that nothing can destroy. That is the part of you that never has been damaged, never has been hurt. And I think a lot of people don't even know that concept. So I'd like to have you talk about that a little bit because I think it's so critically important that we have this part of us that is real, absolutely real. Yes. It's never been damaged, never been hurt. Yeah, yeah, never been hurt, harmed, or endangered, you know? And um, again, you know, you, you could think of it as um, life itself. As, as breath itself, the very breath that animates these bodies. Can you imagine the breath being hurt, being harmed, being endangered? You can't. And so when you recognize that the breath you know, comes before we do. <laughs> it is because of the breath that we exist. Then you begin to leave room for the notion that, oh, you mean that maybe there's a, there's a way, there's a part of me 
that no matter how difficult my life has been, there's a part that is untouched by that. That's a beautiful thought. Because when you, when you have that thought, then the brain can do, you can ask the brain to do something that is without question, powerful and effective. You can ask the brain to show you more about that part of yourself because the brain loves questions, you know, like a computer. And the more um, specific, I call it an EEQ, an effective and empowering question. And the more you can ask a question in a way that directs and grows your life, the more you will experience the answers coming at you from all directions that answer that question for you. So a question, you know, that, that is a wonderful EEQ with regards to discovering the infinite self could be as simple as how do I become acquainted with the infinite self? How can I see and literally experience the infinite self firsthand? That's a great question. How can I see and experience the infinite self firsthand? You ask that question with a yearning, thriving heart. That's an open heart. That's a heart that is driven by curiosity. That's a heart that has in it a sense of possibility and hope and enthusiasm. You ask it with that. And the, the you know, computers, they have only gotten to computers by knowing a little bit about the brain. You ask an effective and empowering question, and this computer here will begin to compute to the most exacting and infinite uh, number of, of answers. And then you will find your life seeing those answers picking up the phone and hearing something, turning on the TV and seeing something, reading a book and not just seeing the words, but having the words literally touch you in a way that says, oh, this is truth. The subtitle of your book is A Journey Into Inner Fitness. And I love that. Would you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? And I love it when I was reading your book. We both grew up watching Jack LaLanne yeah. on TV. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I, I, I tell you, we all across the world understand the importance of physical fitness now. But it was 
it, it was only in 1934 that Jack LaLanne brought the idea of physical fitness being, you know, um, an important and effective way of managing our overall health, our physical health. And when he started talking about that, the medical industry poo-pooed it. So that's what, 1934 to today, that's 88, 74, 84 years. I can't do the math in my head. But that, he, that concept is, is global. And there's not an area of medicine that doesn't agree. It only makes sense that we come to understand the importance of inner fitness. That's, that's developing the mental, emotional, spiritual skills and practices that help to resolve unresolved issues, build resilience, um, and so that you can thrive, so that you can live life well and thrive. Would you tell us a little bit about your play, The Circle? You talk about it in your book, and, and it sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will tell you um, about The Circle, uh, but I just wanted to say one other thing about, about inner fitness. So up until now, you know, we have all of these wonderful um, practices and modalities. You've got meditation, powerful, powerful, powerful. And meditation, if you, if you meditate, where does it take you? It takes you to a greater level of inner fitness. And if in fact you, um, if in fact you um, pay attention to mindfulness, where does it take you? It takes you to a greater level of inner fitness where you have self-agency around that mental, emotional, and spiritual part of yourself. Those things have been siloed up until now. And if we just put it under the umbrella of inner fitness, we get to show people, share with people, the idea that you can A, have self-agency over the turmoil that you have experienced and felt held hostage to up until now. And you get to pick and choose like as a smorgasbord for the rest of your life. And the kind of time of, and attention that uh, physical fitness requires, be, be prepared to give that to inner fitness. And you know, that's a, a perfect way to talk about the play of the circle because our attention to our inner fitness is new. And, you know, it is becoming more and more organized. That's part of what the mission here at the Inner Fitness Project is, right? And again, like physical fitness and like what we know about the brain, in order to change design, redesign your internal world state, you must engage in repetition. And so what are you going to repeat? You have to have better information. You have to put that information into practice. 
And then you have to relentlessly practice. You have to have some sort of some sort of regimen, some sort of regular way of engaging in the concepts in order to, and here's the most important part, the surviving self has had use of so much of your gray matter. We have to do things physically and intentionally to take to decrease the grain matter of the uh, surviving cell and increase, enhance the gray matter of the thriving self and infinite self. You do that through repetition. You do that through modeling. And the play, the, the circle, the circle, it's pure entertainment. I'm an entertainer, I'm a storyteller, right? It's pure entertainment but it was birthed out of the, the question, how, there we go back to questions, right? How, I was like, how, how can I take all of the aha moments that transformed my life in therapy and um, in you know, connecting with these important concepts, how can I take that and turn it into entertainment? And in the entertainment, be modeling the very things that people can do that does indeed decrease the surviving gray matter and increase the thriving gray matter. And so the circle is about how seven diverse women navigate the choppy waters of life together. And on the stage, there are always at least four ethnicities. Sometimes there's seven. There's always at least, there's someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and uh, 70s. And the oldest actress that we've ever had on the stage was 80-something. And here's why. Because when, when it's all said and done, you said something like this earlier. I'm not sure if it was while we were interviewing or before the interview began, but when it's all said and done, we all are living the same life. We come to it at different places, through different events and circumstances, but when it comes to the internal experience of the challenges of life, the not feeling good enough, and the disconnect from self that needs to be repaired. We all are living that life. And so here you see these seven women from also, you know, from uh, an executive, you know, to, um, you know, a drug addict, you see the, this range of life and yet you experience yourself as each one of those people. And it just models things that we can do that, can, that we can walk away from that play having laughed, having said, oh my God, I saw myself in all of those women. But also you walk away with you know, little things that stick one of my favorite little things that sticks, it's in, the, it's in the little book of big lies, it's in the play, 
Uh, I learned it in a spiritual psychology uh, uh, two-year course that I took. And I share it as often as I can because it's so freaking powerful. And that's, you know, our use of the phrase up until now and from this point forward. When we, and, and those of you who are listening, you take that thing in your life that has been the most confounding, the most troubling, the thing that you thought you left behind, you know, four years ago, and then it smacked you in your face again, and you're feeling like, oh my God, how can I, how have I, you know, made it back to this spot? I thought I was done with that. That's an actual chapter in the little book of Big Lies. And if you think about that thing right this moment, your secret pain, and you put this frame around it, and I invite you to do that right this moment. Up until now, my secret pain has been, but from this point forward, it can change. It can be better. You don't even have to know how to make it better. But the moment you say it can be better, you will feel a relief inside of yourself. And you feel that relief because that's what happens when we meet up with truth. And the truth is, one of the lies in the book is that something lasts forever. It does not. It does not. But we have bought into that lie and we have chomped on that lie and we you know, these words sound intellectual when it comes to that thing that has been your greatest challenge. But it, these are not intellectual words. It's true. The brain is never fixed. And if the brain is never fixed, and there's a part of you that has never been hurt, harmed, nor endangered, then between those two realities, there is adjustments that can be made and those adjustments will make all the difference in your life. I think it is so cool that you are playing a character who is a strong sexy woman yes. and who is real you know she's really real yeah. because you know all the other old you know women of a certain yes. age yes yes who yes. are on tv yes. if they are sexual then yes. you know they're a they're a co they're a, a, a cougar yes. they're a you know you just don't see women our age and i'm four years older than you are you don't see women our age who are portrayed in that you know strong and sexual way where yeah. it's real and it's feminine yeah. and yeah. you know and you're not a bitch I and mean, because that's usually what's happening yeah. if it's yeah. if it's if you're doing that then you're a bitch yeah and i just i i wanted to ask that and i i guess i should have asked it at the beginning of the of the it, interview it is, but is, i love that about who you're playing it, it is the part of the opportunity that is the best because it literally is groundbreaking. You know, it, this woman is an archetype. We all know her and yet she hasn't freaking been on TV. That is just the most ridiculous thing. And so, you know, I, my, my hats off. It could only happen because 
Oprah and Ava were, yes. you know, at, in, in the green light position. Right. Because men, men don't, men don't see us no. like that. And I can't even say men don't see us like that. There, it is some sort of, it is some sort of young idea that has been perpetuated because older men, older men know <laughs> that women our age are sexual, <laughs> you know? Uh, older men know that, but there's so many lies, talk about lies, there's so many lies around sexuality in general yeah. that it's just, you know, just a bunch of... It's, yeah, it's craziness. just this, it's this weird combination of, of um, you know, uh, ageism and 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 female discrimination yes. and yes. and you know all it's yes. just all of that and yes. so uh, you're exactly right she is a groundbreaking character Absolutely. and you're exactly right it wouldn't have happened in you know this you won't see her on you know any of the main channels it just won't happen and so i just i just want to tell you i absolutely i love that the thing that 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 I'm curious about is when did the actor that you were looking at, when did you become aware that the actor that you're looking at, you know, had this other side, this inner fitness side? I had actually known you from your book and then saw you on Queen, Queen Sugar, Sugar. Oh, wow. and, then, and then made the connection. And then when I was looking you up for the interview, I see all these other roles that you've played, you know, like on Scandal and stuff uh, like that. I'm uh, like, oh my God, that was her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, her. so So I'm curious, um, was your book self-published or? Yes, so in, check two, this in out. 2016. I, I, yeah, I so want, I want to share this with you. So my book, was originally self-published. I know, and then you talk in your book about connecting with someone, tell, okay, so go on, go well, on. Well, I, you know, that's what I wanna put out there. Not that, not that being uh, published mainstream is, I, I've learned so much about this journey, right? Mm -hmm. But in, 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 through the metaphysical frame, this is what's interesting. I couldn't help but write the book. I didn't want to, but literally it was on me every single freaking day that <laughs> right? And I and it took me over 4 years and at one point I threw my hands up and said, "I can't do this." and started to cry because it was just I didn't know how to do it. Um, I love how you do in the book where you make a statement and then you go, "Okay, now here's the real truth." <laughs> And you, and you, and this was the one I pulled out, you know, the book took me eight, four years and then you, and you go, well, actually, well, it was four years of being in doubt and right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 And so, and so when I threw my hands up and said, I can't write this after, right. you know, 50 tries. Yeah. It was two weeks later that the, the circle which had been incubating for five years. The circle downloaded. I got the circle. I started. I started doing the interviews and all of that uh, for the circle. And then, as soon as uh, I put the circle in the hands of actors, 
it was really clear that we had something. And so then I went away from the little book of big lies for 18 months doing the circle, you know, workshopping the circle and then putting it up and blah, blah, blah. And then I came back to the book and the circle informed the new structure of the book, right? And the moment I published the first book, I was like, I so want to, you know, I so want to do this mainstream. And there's certain things in this book that I want to have the opportunity to, you know, revisit. Um, and I wanted it to be mainstream published. And then I opened up my email in 2018 and HarperCollins is there. I think one of the issues that people are dealing with right now, I wanna ask you, what do you feel or believe the pandemic is here to teach us? Well, it's a great question. And uh, I'm gonna answer it from my gut, right? The pandemic is like everything else. Life is alive. And life is creative, and life is always interacting with the life that is presented. And so first and foremost, we, I invite people to, at the very least, contemplate the notion that before, you know, kids, before marriage, before love, before career, before all of those pursuits, that usually frame our lives, I invite you to contemplate the idea that your purpose, the reason we are here, is to grow. Because if we, if we grow, as we grow, we become a wider channel through which that infinite self, that infinite creativity gets to experience itself in all kinds of shapes and forms through us. So first and foremost, the purpose is to grow. And if that is our purpose, then at every point in life, including the pandemic, including the civil unrest, including all of the isms that are tucked inside of this uh, human evolution. First and foremost, we get to ask the EEQ of, and how is this to grow me? How can this grow me? Because if you embrace the growth, then you become a conscious, thriving point of creativity. And you get to more consciously walk in this experience. And you might very well, you know, be that place that something unthought of unconscious gets modeled, gets experienced, that helps 
the entire experience to be a point of growth. That's how I see it. We have to show up, you know, <laughs> we all started back, you know, Cro-Magnum man, caveman, you know, homeo erectus, homeo sapien, homeo sapien sapien. This is not the end, y'all. And so what is the next iteration? Our brains, they say that we use less than 10%. Well, what does that mean? That means the, the other 90% is, is, is wiring itself. We're the only species that wires its survival outside of the body. So everything that we do is wiring that next iteration. So let's be conscious. And whether we're conscious or not, that infinite self, it knows where it's going. And it is, you know, it, just like our system has a way of constantly making the millisecond adjustments that keeps the whole thing from the body temperature to, you know, wellness to, to, you know, picking up something with your toes. The fact that this system can manage all of that in something, in a fraction of a blink of an eye. The planet is doing the same thing. And so we get to be conscious and have gratitude for being a part of this experience, or we get to think that we are the main event. And in that, you know, upside down equation, experience all the fear and worry that comes from thinking that you are the main event and that you can be taken up by anything. I also want to talk with you about the civil unrest and your take on it. You know, I, I was, when I was looking you up some more, I see that I'm, I'm a few years older than you are. And I was, one of the things I've been thinking about is if in 1972, when I was in college, if somebody would have shown me a video of today and shown me all of the gender inequality that is still going on and all of the racial inequality that is still going on, I don't think I would have believed it. Because, you know, right then we felt like things were changing and, and they did. I mean, there were changes, definitely there were changes. But gosh, you know, to see where we are now, and so I just, I just kind of like to get your take on that. So I'm going to invite everyone who's listening to not think about the unrest and instead think about that thing that has been your challenge forever. That thing that you have worked on and you thought you got it handled and then you know, a year later, it smacks you in your face. And so then you work and you think you got it handled. And then two years later, it, it comes up and it smacks you in your face. We have to leave room 
for all that we don't understand. And one of the things that, you know, that recurring issue has taught me, and I will share, you know, what I have learned, and you get to work with it, consider it, uh, and see whether or not it rings true for you. We can't heal what is buried. We can't heal what we don't see and acknowledge. And when it comes to healing, see the ultimate, the ultimate uh, healing work is healing our rejection of ourselves. That's the ultimate healing work. So when it comes to that secret, the only way to heal it is that when it comes back around, you must bring more of yourself to it. You must bring more of your realized wholeness to it. It is your wholeness that is going to transform the lie and the misconception that has you in bondage. So expect in the healing process for things to come around again and again. Our job is that when it comes around to bring more of our wholeness to it. And so of course, the work of self-investigation, what is this that has us all, you know, and we all have the same nervous system. We all are experiencing, you know, the surviving self, the thrive, and we have access to the thriving self and the infinite self. And yet we go at one another as other. What is that? To be curious about that will put you in relationship with the structures of the surviving self that have been in operation to keep you safe. But they are no longer needed to the degree that we have leaned into them in the past. You know, racism is such a, a uh, it's a, it's a euphemism for self-hate. It, it just is for self-disconnection. If hate is too strong a word, for self-disconnection. Because as you know yourself, I say when you know yourself, you are empowered. When you accept yourself, you are invincible. At some point, I'm sure that there will be studies if they don't already exist. But if you take people who are completely consumed by racism and you look at their brains, I am certain that the reptilian matter will be incredibly uh, thick and, and dominant. And I am convinced that if you detail those people's lives, there is a disconnection of, from self 
from abuse, from some sort of lie about self that is so deeply ingrained that it has not left a lot of room for the thriving and infinite self. And the surviving self believes in other. The, divide, the, the surviving self believes its nature is war. So we have to be hungry, not just curious, be hungry for your wholeness. Be hungry and never underestimate the power of the surviving self. And never poo-poo or underestimate the power of the thriving infinite self. And with both of those said, you then have the work of deliberately being able to shift from that surviving uh, gray matter into the thriving and infinite self of gray matter. Oh, well, Gina, thank you so much. My gosh, I could just go on talking to you forever. <laughs> this was so much Ah, so much. It was so informational and inspiring. And I just want to thank you so much. Uh, I want to encourage everyone to read your book. It's, we'll have the, yes, we'll have the link on your interview. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. To You've been listening to Meeting the Masters, Be well. a production thank of you. Sedona Soul Adventures. If you're a fan of this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. Thanks for listening.